0: On the 23rd edition of the Twin Geek Cast, we're looking at the Criterion Channel, Lightning Round at the Box Office, and Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy Films. Enjoy the show.
1: Movies and friendship, those are mysteries.
0: Yeah, well, you know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. So sometimes we write articles that are more personal. I wrote my uh, rebirth article that just went up on the site.
1: Yeah. I think that's a, a very important piece from you. I was uh, well enough tears when I was editing that the first time, a uh, incredible story that you went through there, Calvin. And I hope that anyone who's listening, go goes ahead and takes a chance to read it. It's just really compelling.
0: Yeah, so For anyone listening that doesn't know, I went into a, a medically induced coma two and a half years ago. Um, I was choking up a lot of blood and couldn't get oxygen. So I, they had to put me under and at the it went it went so badly that the hospital had to create special procedures just to keep me alive so um i they they called them heroics the heroic procedures so uh, there was a lot that went into that and i have a little document on the site detailing uh my recovery from that um there's a whole other story to talk about the downtime but um i'm just glad to have that out there and uh, if you want something really personal and uh beyond like uh, you know the usual not fluff, but uh, film review. We got that.
1: I remember the, the first time you told me about it, one of the first times we met up, it was like I was just telling you about my, my personal experiences going through epilepsy episodes. You're like, oh, yeah, well, I got one up on you. <laughs>
0: yeah well uh, have you ever been through a coma I was like, maybe i could double down on his story and uh i i'm just so glad to have it up though and that we have, that we're able to be uh, personal on the website
1: yeah well because we don't limit ourselves just strictly to reviews or kind of analytical work that's why we have some of the more experienced pieces and all that stuff you know i still love tyler's piece on cold pursuit what a fun story
0: Yeah, I definitely recommend checking out the Cold Pursuit piece, and uh, you'll have a more personal piece upcoming, but um, I I love that we're not just doing film reviews, because you could get so caught inside the release cycle that, you know, you forget we're real humans, and we have the capacity to help each other and to be uh, more compassionate in our work. Yeah,
1: for sure. So I think uh, moving on from that, uh, we wanted to start this week by talking about a little kind of important film thing going on in our world this past week, right?
0: Yeah, we had the release of the Criterion Channel, a much-awaited release.
1: Yes, all of us were were singing the praises of the Criterion Criterion Channel, like right when they announced it, shortly after the death of FilmStruck. And a- I mean,
0: maybe maybe you more than anyone. You, I think you kind of recruited our staff to go subscribe to the annual plan. I did. I've been I've
1: been yelling about this <laughs> for months now because I fell head over heels for FilmStruck when I kind of finally discovered it and it uh led to a lot of discovery and you know a, a vast improvement in my my film culture when i started watching everything they had
0: filmstruck or criterion channel is like film class without the uh, without the dues you have to pay
1: right and it's especially a great tool for anyone out there who doesn't have immediate access to you know rental libraries near them you know it's kind of some of these metropolitan areas like you or me do
0: yeah, I mean, I feel like I've learned more from the um, Criterion app than I d- actually did in a film class. Right. There's a lot on there.
1: Well, because you kind of get to, to pick a course, essentially, and then they have all of the supplemental material, give you insight to a lot of things from a variety of different filmmakers and experts on things, and oh my god, there's just there, there's no service out there like it, and I can't believe they don't charge you $50 a month. I would pay that for this.
0: <laughs> don't give them an ide- any ideas, <laughs> but um, I think we all would uh, because it's like, it's like that Masterworks program where you could watch David Lynch talk or something. You get that, but for free, for $10 a month.
1: That was actually, I guess that works as a funny transition. So, of course, when you have these launches like this, there's always difficulties at first. And so, in the first couple hours when everyone on the internet was scrambling to figure out what was going on, like, we couldn't get anything up on the TV, so it was just, you know, all you could watch <laughs> is on your tablet or phone, and everyone's just like, David Lynch would have a fit over this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it, it launched with a lot of Lynch's work, so that's a, that's what makes it most interesting because it launched with, like, Elephant Man and Eraserhead and whatnot and mm-hmm. Twin Peaks, right? Mulholland so,
1: Drive's on there as well. They got a lot of yeah. Lynch. I think a lot of those are going to be in their constant stream library, stuff like Mulholland Drive and whatnot. They're going to have a lot of their personal titles on hand as well as all of this other stuff. You know, I haven't had a chance yet, but I'm going to jump into this Columbia Noir section they have up here first because they got stuff like the big heat which is a really great one from uh, Fritz Lang
0: yeah and that that whole sections like 70 minute movies and a whole batch of them so there's a lot of really instant uh, stuff that you could get through in a short period of time and it's if all you want like a whole course on film
1: mm-hmm. and all their stuff it stays up for a minimum of 90 days so you get your time to get to all of those if you want
0: that's nice. I mean, I feel like I already have choice paralysis going down the list. Yeah, there's so much on there I want. I, so.
1: I already stuff up my list, major. That's the one thing, though. I think even despite that, is that it's still a little hard to find titles because they're still working on the system. Uh, they don't have like a really proper filter function to to find or search by things or a certain thing. There's no way to browse the entire catalog of everything they have. Like a lot of stuff. They really I, need to. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I said a lot of stuff I added to my list I had to, uh, I found only because I saw it listed on, like, people talking about certain things on Reddit. So I'm like, oh, well, I add that to my list as well, and this one, and this one.
0: I mean, they really need to get the uh, by Country feature back on yep. from Filmstruck as well. That
1: was a really great function, and of course, because, again, you know, where else are you going to watch all these uh, four-language films that you don't have access <laughs> right. to otherwise?
0: I mean, you, you're you going down the list, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess I could watch certain mm-hmm. films from Nigeria. It's like, a what is this service?
1: Yeah. It's very interesting, very unique thing. But of course, you know, I think despite our, our complaints about it and kind of the frustrations of technical difficulties, it's all expected on a first day launch. I, I slapped yeah. my, you know, $90 down for this the very first day they announced it because I said, <laughs> I don't give a shit what the service looks like afterwards. I need to support this because Filmstruck Unless- is a godsend.
0: Unless you're watching on Chrome, Chromecast? Is that what it's called?
1: Yeah, that was that was the funny thing that kind of sucked about it. Because when I first heard about Filmstruck, I was excited and learned about it. And I'm like, all right, I'll download the app on my PS3 or whatever, and we'll watch it that way. And it's <laughs> like, oh, they don't have a PS3 app, which everyone's been complaining about since Filmstruck. So it's like, all right, well, yeah. w- what do I do? And Chromecast was the easiest option, it seemed to me. So I was like, all right. I went out and bought a Chromecast solely for the purpose of watching on Filmstruck. Come around now... And the Criterion Channel does not currently broadcast through the uh Chromecast.
0: No, oh, you you gotta get another device. Yeah. So, so you went and picked one up, right? Yes,
1: I did. I had my, my fiance on our way back home last night from work stop by Target and pick up a fifty dollar fire stick. <sighs> but that's okay. <laughs> the
0: things we'll do for a film though.
1: It's okay. I was I was considering it anyway because I have a myriad of technical problems with all my stuff, so Amazon was already like, any time I'd watch a movie, like, this, the sync would go out of focus. It's only on Amazon. Everything on, on Netflix or, or uh, Hulu or whatever worked just fine. So, and
0: I think right now you really just want, like, Amazon and this. These are, like, the leaders in streaming right now. These are
1: definitely the two I have. I think mostly, you know, and, and ones I focus on. I still have, like, uh, Netflix and Hulu, but, you know, I'm on somebody else's plan with them. Which is a nice feature, yeah. I think, by the way, that all of these streaming services do, is that you can have multiple people on there. Which is great. Yeah, I
0: think I feel like that's changed the way that we thought that we'd be locked down and that it would be kind of totalitarian, having our access like this. But really, you can't share a physical copy that many ways. So mm-hmm. That's really nice.
1: Well, and it's diff- very different from cable as well. They're allowing us more freedoms that you wouldn't get with a, you know, $80, 150 and fifty dollar cable package or whatever. You know, you pay ten dollars a month for one of these services, and three people can use it.
0: I mean, I'm also using someone else's cable so you know, <laughs> it, it ends up that the way that you watch modern films is you're, you're, you know you share services with people. One of you signs up for one, shares it with the other.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's very uh, kind of indicative of the uh, the art here as well is that that's what we want to do. We want to share our things with everybody. We want to show this person this tell them, hey, I saw this movie on Netflix, go check this out you know or whatever. It's great.
0: Or like you're you're in like a constant conversation with someone like family and you really want them to you know uh, let's watch the same thing and we have the same service so that works.
1: Yeah. I think it's a it's a great advancement in terms of how we are uh, our, our entertainment services and as I've said many times on here and outside of here is that this is where everything is obviously going and you know everyone needs to start jumping on board. Criterion made the extremely smart move of jumping on board the streaming wagon because that's where everything's headed.
0: And I think it's going to work out well for them. It's been placing well in uh, Apple's top TV apps, and I think uh, I think the service is amazing. I wish it weren't through VHX, but I think it's going to do very well.
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing is that we just need to support it, you know, through them all the rough spots, so that they can continue to develop it, you know, and make it better for us. They're going to be listening to our feedback. They see all of our yeah. outcries for all this, and they're going to change it. That's what they did. That's why they started this in the first place, because so many of us stood up and said. We want this from you guys. Please make this happen, and they're gonna do it again.
0: I mean, even on Filmstruck, they were listening. I don't think they were always able to com- accomplish their ends. Like, I'd email them every month asking about the PS4 app, and they'd be like, "Okay, uh, next holiday."
1: Mm-hmm. They keep, you know, talking about that. I don't know. I kind of just gave hope. I gave up hope on that aspect, yeah. but that's okay because I'm, like I said, you know, paying fifty dollars for the Fire Stick like that—that's a minor inconvenience to me for you know going on to. Uh, get this service properly and watch it in a way that is enjoyable for what the price they're offering you know compared to something like netflix who's charging fifteen dollars a month i can't complain at all because the amount of material you get for the price you're paying it's practically robbery on on our part
0: (laughs) i mean think about this you're getting like extras and you walk into a store and get one of these discs you're paying forty dollars up front so
1: right And, and that's the thing is that it's not like they don't accommodate pricing for that as well you know it you know, if you go at the right time during one of their very many sales, you know you pay twenty bucks for a disc, which is still a lot for a disc. But the amount of material you get, man, it's worth it. I say. I have a vast Criterion collection, an unhealthy collection of Criterion's, <laughs> but I'm going uh, to. Let's keep call buying.
0: it a healthy collection. <laughs> you have a healthy Criterion I, collection. I actually counted. I'm at. Uh, I'm at
1: fifty titles now, which is really. 50, I'm.
0: 30. I'm not box shaming though. You got a lot of boxes, and I think it's okay.
1: Yes. <laughs> All right.
0: Uh, should we jump into box office? Yeah, here? I
1: think so. That's enough uh, Criterion advertisement for this
0: week. But, uh, you know, for the price of two Criterions, you could have a year worth, so go do it. Yes.
1: Alright, uh, jumping into the box office here, uh, we're going in number 10. We're finally going to get rid of How to Change Your Dragon this week. Hell yeah. <laughs> third, third film in the franchise. Um,
0: yeah, it's good. I think that How to Train Your Dragon is a good franchise. All three films are good, and they're getting out while they can. Hopefully they won't make another, but I think they will. Hopefully.
1: We have a review on the site that anyone can go ahead and read if they're interested more in our thoughts. Uh, so we'll move forward. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Uh, number nine here, we have Wonder Park, which we don't ever... It's not good. <laughs> yeah. You, you watched, <laughs> it's you watched a... a little bit of it, you said, before, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, but with my daughter before we had to shut it off. It was fine. Um, I don't think you need to go to it. It's about a mother who dies and... The way her daughter deals with trauma that...
1: You you watched uh, Totoro recently, right? You'd recommend that more.
0: Hell yeah. I mean, I think Studio Ghibli is a good entrance for anime anyway, and it's really the only anime I watch. So I i also watched Spirited Away, which uh, I'd recommend.
1: Yeah, I just thought about it cause it's you know, Totoro is kind of the same idea here, dealing with grief and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. So, similar thing, much better. Absolutely. Uh, number eight here, we have Unplanned.
0: Which-, <laughs> which is an unhealthy way to deal with grief.
1: <laughs> no, all it's... It's unhealthy, a lot of
0: things. Uh, so, for the price of a matinee ticket, you could also give like six bucks to Planned Parenthood. I think that would be a better use of your money.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is uh, anti, you know, Planned Parenthood uh, propaganda made by uh, Pure Flix. You know, all the gods not dead people. We talked about this last week. I don't want to give it any more attention because they are yeah, bad.
0: Yeah, do something good. Go follow Planned Parenthood on the social media or something. something Just like don't that. do this.
1: Yeah. Uh, number seven here, we have uh, Five Feet Apart.
0: Which is uh, a cystic fibrosis movie We don't have many of those around And uh, Cole Sprouse plays an annoying teen Who falls in love with Haley Lou Richardson Because who wouldn't mm-hmm. And uh, he has to keep like a pool cue b- Between them and uh, There's a little bit of sexual tension But it's not what you think it is so. Is it a literal um, pu-
1: pool cue? I don't think you said that yeah, yeah. Oh okay that's funny Yeah,
0: I keep... yeah, They have to keep a pool stick together And he starts poking her with it And that's how they have sex <laughs> and stuff
1: that, They have sex with it? Oh, oh that's some interesting imagery you put in my mind there.
0: I mean, they're sitting poolside and with a pool cue, ironically, and then he takes off, uh, you know, her, like her shirt, with his pool stick, and it's, okay. it's a thing.
1: So, so when you say sex with a pool stick, I'm imagining something much more vulgar. So,
0: I mean, I don't know if they really get there, right? They they have to stay like five feet apart at least. Uh, Whatever they do has to be with the pool stick. I don't feel like we need to get into details about what could happen.
1: Alright, no no more talk about pool Q six.
0: <laughs> no.
1: Alright, at uh, number six here we have uh the best of enemies.
0: The best of enemies was okay. Um I I think it's just fine. I don't know what to I don't know what to really do with it though.
1: Mm-hmm. You um, um you, you went and saw it and you think you're still uh you got a review potentially coming, right?
0: Yeah, I think I'll do a review, um Sam Rockwell is really great in it, and uh, it's weird because it's about a KKK member who becomes reformed by sitting into a chariot, which is just like the community getting together and uh, deciding to uh, solve problems and find solutions for a school, a black school. That's kind of a, um, it gets like bombed by the KKK, so the black kids have to go to school with the white kids, and it's about desegregation. I guess it's okay, but we have a few of these movies right now.
1: I hope we don't uh, just kind of pigeonhole Sam Rockwell into, you know, flagrantly racist characters now on i think we have because we first we had him in three billboards which he was fantastic in and then he was in w or not w was in vice Vice. where he played w
0: (laughs) (laughs) he's he's really easy at playing a racist it's pretty concerning but he's great
1: yeah hopefully this uh, that doesn't unearth anything that we you know don't know about him yet
0: (laughs) so i have a slight problem with the movie it's it's about the Wait, it's from the perspective of the KKK guy, so you don't see a lot of the fallout on the black people. And even the KKK is only harassing white people into uh, voting against black people, so it doesn't like properly demonize them or show their actual impact against the culture. So I'm really struggling with the film.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully we'll hear more of your thoughts in the review that uh, comes later on this week. Uh, let's see, we're moving on here at number five. We have uh, Captain Marvel still hanging
0: out, made another $12 I feel like the, uh, has the culture kind of moved against Brie Larson now with that in Unicorn Store?
1: Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen a whole lot of talk about Unicorn Store. I think, you know, there's still a small collection of people who are kind of against her, but for the most part, I think everyone just doesn't care.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think uh, Captain Marvel's fine, but I don't know if it's worth caring about. Um, There's a lot of uh, good that could go into having more female superheroes, but uh, maybe this isn't the one that we need right now.
1: Yeah, well, it seems to be having an effect at least. And, you know, if it's not the gigantic leap forward that kind of shakes the whole world up and everything, at least it's a small step, you know, towards getting that that more equal representation that we really want. And if that's <laughs> the, the very least of what Matt Cat and Marvel will call much is, I'd call it a success.
0: A small step that makes a billion. Yeah. So. <laughs> I feel like that's all the praise it needs. It, it made money, and we don't have to go on about it because the box office did.
1: Yes. All right, so... uh Number four here, we have Us, Jordan Peele movie that we did a podcast on a couple of weeks back now.
0: I've started cooling on it just a little bit.
1: Ah, see, I knew you would.
0: Um, not by a whole lot. I just, I uh, I don't think it's going to make my end of year list is all I'll say. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think definitely that, you know, the the general consensus is very split up on the film and, you know, it has not had the, you know, entirely embraced reception that Get Out did, which is fine, you know. And same thing I've seen with uh, Twilight Zone for Jordan Peele, so.
0: And it's an interesting film to divide us because it's all about cutting and racial tension and separation anyway, so. It's an, inter- it's an interesting film to have division over.
1: I think it's an interesting film regardless. Um, You know, worth your time, yeah. even if you don't like it necessarily. I wasn't huge on it, but that doesn't mean that there weren't interesting ideas there. It did get my mind going. So, worth checking out. Definitely better than some of the blander stuff on the list here this week.
0: Though I figured I'm not going to make it Get into our st- our staff list based on how everyone feels. So. Yeah, I think unless one of us comes out for it, I think, think you're the
1: most positive person on the entire staff here.
0: And I I still love it. I think it's great. I love Peel, and I'm been watching the Twilight Zone. So um, there's a new one this week. That I'll have to catch up on. So I'm excited about what he's doing lately.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, hopefully he keeps doing interesting things. That's the least I can ask of him. Absolutely. Uh, number three here we have Dumbo. The new Tim Burton thing.
0: And, <laughs> Tim Burton's been kind of lost for a while, hasn't he, since Alice in Wonderland?
1: Uh, maybe even before then, because wasn't Charlie before then?
0: Was Charlie? Um, I, was Charlie fine, though? I feel like that, uh, that was okay.
1: I don't know, it was pretty grating. Jo- Johnny Depp is absolutely intolerable in that movie.
0: I mean, his last one, Alice in Wonderland, came out like a week before or after Avatar, so it kind of had that little bump by it that it didn't really need, and Dumbo's kind of surviving on its own, so that's interesting.
1: Here we'll say, the majority of this millennium now, uh, Tim Burton's been very off. He started off in 2001 with Planet of the Apes, so from there it's just been kind of a very rocky road with only a few notable, you know, entries
0: I feel like it's possible for a filmmaker to get their voice out there and kind of say what they have to say, and then, uh, you know, maybe they're kind of done. hmm I see Beetlejuice 2's coming up. Oh, uh, no. I'm going to watch it.
1: No, no, I heard, I saw news recently that it's been shelved.
0: Okay, uh, so he doesn't have anything currently scheduled that's upcoming.
1: Yep, so, I don't know, Noth- he, nothing's going on exciting for the world of Burton for me, and he's mm-hmm. he's got to do something really interesting to kind of win back his uh, initial praise.
0: Like uh, the upcoming remake for The Nightmare Before Christmas. What? <laughs> you haven't heard about that? No,
1: and I don't want to hear about it.
0: <laughs> Live action. We'll see what happens.
1: Not listening. All right. Uh, number two here, uh, we have Pet Cemetery. Speaking of um, re- remakes and stuff.
0: We're both reading the book, so maybe we could jump on and do like a book discussion podcast once we both see it.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm going to go watch the old one probably for, like, the first time in forever once I finish up the book here. I don't remember anything about the ending or any of that, so I don't want any spoilers.
0: Yeah, I w- I watched it, and I'm not too concerned, because I've already seen it numerous times, and the last one just last October, so... Um, I, I still like Pet Cemetery as a story. I don't think I like any of the movies, and I don't feel like that's going to change based on Jesse's review on the site.
1: Yep, which uh, is going to be up this week. Uh, it, oh, it's up. A, yeah, yeah no. that's right. <laughs> so... Please read that as well to see what our staff thinks of uh, new pet cemetery.
0: Um, and he has a really good review of it. He has better perspective than we do, I think, because he's kind of lived with it as like a semi fan for a while. Yeah,
1: certainly, he loves the story a lot, and he's not big on I think either either one here. It seems, but you know, he's admiration for the material, which is
0: that's the thing though, is that it feels like. Stephen King thinks this is his darkest or scariest story, and I might not be a big Stephen King stand, but uh, you know, I think I think he has some more scary stuff other than this. He
1: did say that in the foreword, I believe it's, it's something I, when I read that when I first picked up the book. It said that whenever I asked what his scariest story is, he says this one, and he says like they'll buy it based on the letters I receive. It seems that everyone else thinks it's The Shining.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, he gets a lot of fan mail about Shining, but I think this is the one closest to his heart, and you could kind of see that this is comes from a dark period for him. Well, he pulls it. I think that's what a writer means. He
1: pulls, you know, the kind of central conflict of it straight from his own life, from what happened to him in that very instance, which is terrifying.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's what a writer means when they say they have a scary story is that uh, something's been haunting them and it's their outlet. The way that Us is scary to peel because he has a fear of doppelgangers doesn't really reflect on what we feel about Us. Mm
1: -hmm. But this one's it's, it's definitely interesting material. Highly recommend the book. Even if it does have a few weird sex scenes in it.
0: (laughs) They're so weird, too. Uh, The guy's like, uh, You're for dinner. It's It's uh, bad. Stephen King
1: can't write sex scenes (laughs) at all.
0: Please stop, Stephen (laughs) King. Uh, I think, uh, what's your favorite king?
1: Uh, Well, this is only the second king I will have read, but, you know, uh, when I did read prior to this, I read Misery earlier this year, which was also, you know, fantastic, phenomenal. I think it's more consistently great, certainly, than. Pet Sematary has been reading. There's a lot of kind of low points or things that drag in the book sometimes, but I like a lot of the ideas that Pet Sematary definitely has going on. It's a slow kind of burn, though.
0: And I'd recommend everyone read Dan Smokov eventually if you want King's uh, philosophy on horror movies. Uh, It's obvious why his films or his books get adapted so often because he understands uh, how to make a cinematic story.
1: Yeah. All right, and uh, topping off the box office here, number one, we have Shazam!
0: Um, is it doing all right? I can't really tell.
1: Yeah, it seems to be doing good. 53 million. Okay. Yeah, that seems
0: like a good launch. Yeah, and I've seen... And especially for Shazam, who I didn't really know about until this year.
1: Right. Well, a lot of people, but, uh, I think everyone Those trailers were really good at selling the film, I have to say. They made it seem like a really interesting turn for DC, and it's the most highly praised DC film I've seen
0: yet. Yeah, since at least Wonder Woman, um...
1: Even then, there was a lot of detractors for Wonder Woman, but I haven't seen any negative perception of Shazam at all.
0: I guess I haven't either, Um, and it sounds like it's a good chosen family movie, which always does pretty well among um, uh, current consensus. uh, I'm excited to see where it goes, and Bro has a review up on the site that's really great, too.
1: Yeah, and he seemed to definitely love it as well. It just seems like a lot of fun for the whole family, with a lot of... uh, you know, interesting takes on the, the genre and, um, you know, some new perspective and hopefully a good turn in the tide for DC.
0: As, uh, do you feel like DC is back in your good graces then?
1: Um, you know, I haven't gone and seen any, of course, but based on reception and everything, they're making the right moves. Aquaman was a lot of fun, if not inherently flawed for a lot of people. Shazam is a lot of fun and apparently not inherently flawed for most people. So they keep course correcting like this. They're They're headed on the right way.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't call Aquaman fun, but I guess uh, we have different ideas. Well, at, I mean, I, a didn't, good time.
1: I didn't see it neither, but the general consensus I see is that it is fun and people enjoy it. I did have another friend reach out to me, though, when he said it was stupid. So, you're not <laughs> yeah. alone.
0: No, I, I hated Aquaman, so <laughs> there's that. Um, so, otherwise, on the box office, I feel like we had a good week, I think, um, i I'd I don't really have an outright suggestion to go see this week because uh, everything's either old or you know maybe go see Shazam.
1: I think we have some some interesting things finally though. I mean, it feels like the the blue you know feeling of January is over. We finally yeah. gotten past it four months into the year.
0: Yeah, four months into the year, and we have uh, we have High Life available at four theaters, so none of us could see it.
1: Mm-hmm. You're singing the praise of that movie a lot, even though I haven't seen it yet.
0: But I feel like if you've watched a trailer 200 times, then you're almost qualified to talk about it.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. All I right.
0: Mean, come on, I'm a I'm a relatively new dad, so Babies in Space is very interesting to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny, I think you watched the trailer so much that I didn't feel any obligation to see the trailer, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've taken care of it, and maybe uh, maybe that's why they won't give me the movie. They feel like I've watched too much of the trailer.
1: Maybe so. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, it'll come your way soon enough here, so don't worry, Calvin.
0: Yeah, I'll get I'll get my high life. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, uh, they also have uh, Under the Silver Lake, which they've uh, reduced to only coming on video on demand. A24 is making choices.
1: Yep, well, and it was out for a long time last year. I remember seeing reviews for it, and it it's already been out on Blu-ray over there by this time, so...
0: Oh, it never really came out, though. It was just festivals. Yep. So. What a weird thing.
1: Weird, but all right. In the meantime, uh, what well, we have do do coming this weekend as well is we have um, the new Hellboy movie, which yeah. which looks uh, fine. mix of interesting and not sure about, you know, who knows. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, we found it uh, apt enough to revisit the old two, the first two Hellboy movies from Guillermo del Toro. Del Toro
0: yeah um and I'm, I'm excited to take a look at them i feel like they have a lot of character and they're a little bit different from what was happening in superhero film at the time
1: absolutely especially uh the second one we'll talk about at that point there but start with the first movie we'll go through the first movie a little bit here
0: in the absence of light darkness prevails An ancient evil has returned greater than any the world has ever known Six years ago, they tried to destroy the world. They're back. Now, one secret government agency... Welcome to the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. ...has been called upon... Hellboy. ...to stand against them. There are things that go bump in the night. And we are the ones who bump back.
1: Are you gonna be okay?
0: How big can it be? Didn't I kill you already?
1: We're heading towards
0: civilians! Destroy them! You should be running. It's coming for us! Hellboy. Second date, no time.
1: You know, this was uh, my second or third time with them watching them both here. I think I still largely feel the same about the whole series, is that there's a lot of really good stuff, there's also some bad stuff.
0: Yeah, I feel like they're pretty uneven, especially the first one. It's kind of a, I don't know, I kind of felt like I didn't really watch anything afterwards.
1: Well, one of my first problems with the the first movie is that the first, like, 20 minutes are just every single conceivable way you can think of to just dump exposition on an audience. That's how they do it. There's a voiceover that introduces everything, then they repeat everything, and characters talking to each other, and there's text up on the screen that, that tells you what's going on, the time and location. It's every single way you can think of it to exposit, they just shove it at you.
0: It is full of exposition, and it's um, not very clever about how it's adapted.
1: No, not even at all. Like I said, some of it is just literally repeated a moment afterwards. Like I almost feel like it's it feels like studio-mandated exposition, but because of how, um, you know... Uh, much there is throughout the entirety of the film. Like I'm like, I don't know, maybe this is just bad storytelling.
0: I feel like Del Toro got his way a lot with the characters, so maybe he had to cut some other considerations for studio.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels very very by the numbers for the most part throughout the plot and everything, but it's really in uh, some of the creative choices and characters where Del Toro kind of comes through a bit more.
0: I guess the first question to ask is, do you like Hellboy? As Absolutely.
1: A Hell Hellboy as a character is a lot of fun. Uh, do, do you mean just in the movies or in the comics as well? Or
0: yeah, I mean as a concept and as a movie character.
1: Yeah, I like him as a concept and movie character, and I think uh, Ron Perlman really sells him here. You know, and that's really the key to both of these movies is, is Ron Perlman's personality. It takes a long time to get to him, though. And yeah, there's, there's, it does. There's a lot of weird things as well in the setup, like they set up the baby roof thing very obviously and is not that important
0: i mean he said like in the in the commentary that that was a candy that was around back then and, and it has the color red which attaches to his character in the logo so that's about it
1: i guess that's a that's a stretch to try and attach like why well, even include that like the pancake thing <laughs> right. is is more compelling to me i like seeing the giant pile of pancakes not kind of like a, a baby roof barn again and they ditch it entirely and i and think... then
0: he, i love that he also calls them pam cakes with an m pam cakes is that what he says yeah, he always uses an M, so I always found that funny.
1: I think it might be an accent thing Ron Perlman's trying to do there. I'm not oh sure. yeah, it
0: could be. Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, the baby roof bar things don't make much sense to me. I prefer the, the the switch off with when they upgrade to cigars later, and that's kind of a good incentive for him, and it kind of gives him this somewhat of a connection or relatability with Jeffrey Tambor's character, but they, they build that up a lot with Jeffrey Tambor. I don't think he's terribly great in the films either.
0: No, I think it's I think it's almost a phallic thing at that point to go from baby Ruth to to big cigars.
1: Well, I think yeah, they, they they're trying to make some connection with it, I imagine, but it's not. Again, they just kind of drop the baby Ruth thing as soon as they kind of yeah. get to adulthood. He's he's much more incentivized by other things.
0: Absolutely, and I I like uh, I like Tambor in it. He always reminds me of uh, Larry Sanders. Though yeah, I feel like he's just going to go into into character and introduce a talk show.
1: Hmm. I can see that. I, I I'm not as big on him in the film because again, the the biggest problem as well, and kind of with everybody, like, essentially the only person I like in the movies is Ron Perlman because everyone else is written very poorly.
0: I mean, Tabor does never get a lot to do in either of them, so he's kind of a waste of uh, space a little bit.
1: Yep. Same thing kind of with John Hurt. John Hurt's yeah. there's a, a father figure. We wasted John really? Hurt. I can't. I mean, and they he he dies very early on in the first film. They kind of dig him up for the second one for unnecessary flashback.
0: I watched *The uh, Elephant Man* last night. <laughs> yeah, with John Hurt. And uh, yeah, I I tried to convince my uh, wife that John Hurt always had a disfigurement, and <laughs> she wasn't really buying it.
1: She always, <laughs> I mean, the makeup's convincing enough that I might be willing to to buy it, but no, John Hurt does not look like that. Fortunately, I would. I recommend.
0: tried really hard to convince her that uh, he he had an accident. And,
1: Everything after that's just CGI fixing him. Yeah.
0: Which, by the way, I feel like this uh, Hellboy has a good mixture of CGI and digital.
1: I think um, the... um, What was I going to say? Uh, the or transition... I mean, sorry, practical it, and yes. digital. The transition from practical to um, special effects is, is very obvious to me and a little sloppy. But the usage yep. of them is smart. I appreciate the balance of it. It's just that because the the prosthetics are so cumbersome and slow moving and everything. When it switches right. over to fast CGI action, it's like you know the difference. It's very obvious.
0: You can see the fluidity, but I like that Del is willing to utilize puppets inside a digital space.
1: Yes, and it's again much better in the second film I definitely found they do a lot more of that. But there's a lot of very fun stuff that they do in the first one. And again, more than anything, I think the the creature designs kind of demand a more practical approach to them, as as per Del Toro's usual manner.
0: I love the designs, especially. Um, I think Hellboy looks really great with the broken uh, horns.
1: Yeah, uh, especially if you compare him to uh, you know the looks for the the new Hellboy played by um, David Harbour. Uh, oh yeah, I think it's it's not that his is bad. It's just that you know we have a, a deep affection for the design of Perlman's, and the character comes through more. Uh, Harbor looks much more buried in makeup, where it looks like they really tried to allow for uh, more expression in Perlman's makeup. There, his his big blocky head fits the kind of uh, characteristic more. So it looks like you know the the David Harbor Hellboy looks more like a skinny dude in a buff costume, whereas that looks more like uh, you know Perlman's Hellboy looks much more like his normal physique.
0: I always liked the story famously that uh, Del Toro and the comics creator turned to each other at the same time and said, we need Ron Perlman. So mm-hmm. that He was the only person that could do it. And I think he's a little bit sore that he couldn't get a third one made.
1: Well, it's kind of crazy because he was in the first Hellboy in his like, early 50s. Right. <laughs> Taking on a big action character with his, all his prosthetics, that's insane.
0: Where's he now? He's nearly 70s then?
1: Yeah, he's close to his 70s, I think. So it's no wonder he can't do a third one.
0: I think he'd really like to. I just saw an interview with him saying that he's pretty sore. that's an open win for him.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can't believe because again, it's he's great as the character. if Only it's so good. If only the the only great thing about the film, but you know, it, he really comes through with that personality, and he's got that uh, that nature of the character down pat. It's it's really fantastic. This kind of. Uh, man child i think as he he once said to me kind of attitude
0: (laughs) yeah yeah he is a demon man child and he embodies like the the soul of a boy captured in an adult's body which is which is every superhero film from this era so uh, Mm -hmm. that's not special inherently but here it's really well done
1: Mm -hmm. i definitely think you get more of the kind of uh, rebellious idea from him here you know more so but that's that's kind of the main compelling thrust of it, because the narrative itself, the, the story, the conflict of the first Hellboy, is not all that compelling.
0: No, it's a boring story to me. and I, I feel like he was an underutilized superhero for a reason, because people didn't want to read his comics. And...
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's the trouble that most superhero films tend to have. Unless you're Batman or Spider-Man, you don't really have good villains to work with here. Like, for, for the first Hellboy, the pull up... Rasputin as a villain
0: Yeah, and, what the hell
1: And nobody cares because this guy has no personality And he's just an evil man Who wants some evil thing And it's boring and dumb And uninteresting The only interesting like adversary he has here is the clockwork dude And he doesn't even mm. have a personality He's just like a clockwork ninja And that's a cool idea
0: Right, it's just like a future Deadpool I mean, he's not that great
1: Well, not, uh, Yeah, Deadpool, like X-Men Origins Deadpool Where he doesn't say anything
0: Right and I feel like um, let's see. I I think that the what's the fish guy's name? Um, oh, um, um... Abe Sapien.
1: Yeah, I just call him Doug Jones because Doug know, Jones. Doug Jones specializes and, in playing fishmen.
0: And it's a uh, voice by someone else. I can't yes, remember. And the which first movie helpful. is
1: voiced by David Hyde Pierce.
0: Thank you. And uh, I uh, my favorite part of the commentary was Del Toro said that he saw the final after going through like forty revisions, and he put his head on his desk and he cried and said. I'm a big fat man, because he was so in love with the character. I don't know why he got that response, but it's it's amused me since I heard that.
1: That is amusing, and I'm not sure either. That's an, that's an <laughs> odd response, for sure. He
0: he fell so in love with the design of the creature and how gorgeous it was that all he, he was reduced to, I'm a big fat man. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love Del Toro. He's, he's so endearing.
1: Yes, Del Toro is uh, almost better as a personality, as a film personality, than he is as a director. Uh, yeah, that not that he isn't a great director, he absolutely is. And you know, we talked about how his fantastic work on uh, Sheep of Water* before this. Maybe we'll get around to talking about *Pan's Labyrinth* eventually too.
0: I mean, uh, Del Toro is just everyone's, uh, you know, one of favorite personalities, especially on Twitter. He's brilliant.
1: Yeah, he's he's a very fun person to follow. And I think that's one of the the benefits of um our, our our modern society. You know, back in you know more classical film. Sighting in the 40s and 50s you, you didn't follow directors like you do now
0: no i mean he'll already be our most covered director on the basis of having three of his films
1: do we oh yeah i guess this is because this one's two i right. think that, does that tie him with orson wells for other stuff i've covered
0: uh maybe yeah
1: <laughs> orson Welles and del toro that's our uh the the range of our interests here
0: i could work with that that's good enough range
1: yeah but yeah um i guess getting back to the first Hellboy, um. I, def- I think we definitely agree that the first film isn't as good as the second. Oh, you know what? I did forget, and this is probably indicative of a problem with the film. Um, there's another character in the first film that's so lame and doesn't matter that you and we, we actively forgot about him. Who's that? Remember, the the, the aging guy, the, the guy that's supposed to be helping Hellboy. What's his name? Oh, yeah. John, yeah. John Not... Myers.
0: He's, <laughs> what a, I mean, just the name, you forget it.
1: He's so lame.
0: Yeah, he's he's a terrible wooden character.
1: Awful, absolutely awful. And he's supposed to be like the other aspect of this love triangle with Hellboy and uh, Liz's character.
0: I must have been looking at my phone because he, he was on the screen and Del Toro was like, he's the most beautiful creature I'd ever seen. And I'm like, is he really talking about this boring character? He was talking about the fish guy, of course. And I had a moment <laughs> of confusion.
1: But yeah, that guy, the actor is awful. I haven't ever heard of him in anything else it's just very interesting and they cut him out in the most like awful like obvious way for the second one and i was like well i would i'd be upset if i didn't you know didn't want to get rid of him
0: yeah we didn't need john mayer anyway
1: yeah He's John Mayer? john mayer i don't know who yeah. who cares
0: <laughs> exactly um i feel like the original film also appeals to me on the level that it's uh finally we have like a superhero that's uh, kind of broadly a horror influence vil, uh, villain
1: most certainly there are you know and that's you know uh del toro's thing is that that horror influences and you definitely see it here and you got that earlier with blade and that's kind of what got him the job to begin with yeah but,
0: pearlman also in blade 2 so. yeah
1: oh i have a funny story about this and my fiance is going to kill me when i tell her about it but the first time we watched blade 2 and we were watching and he comes up on the screen she's like why does that look like a shaved ron pearlman i'm like that is a shaved ron Perlman."
0: <laughs> I mean, it would be hard to tell them apart, right?
1: It was it was hilarious, because it it's so obviously Ron Perlman. She's like, oh, that guy looks like Ron Perlman, sort of. I'm like, yeah.
0: <laughs> just like Jeffrey Tambor looks like a shaved Dr. Phil.
1: <laughs> Except he's not Dr. Phil. <laughs> I know. Anyway, I think, again, as, as you can see, we're getting on track here. You know, we should talk about the second film, which is definitely better.
0: Uh, yeah, the um, second film's kind of a cult classic at this point, isn't it?
1: I'd say so. Um, The second film, you know, has no problem getting right off the ground after an unnecessary, you know, backstory telling us about the Golden Army and stuff. More exposition dumps. Um, But then it gets right into it, no more need for character introductions or lengthy explanations of what the Bureau is and all that crap. So we get to just kind of see the character uh, jump right into action here. Alright, and then we have, and we move on here to the, the second Hellboy film, which we both agree is most certainly better than the first one was.
0: I mean, I think all you need is the red right hand, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty in. A
1: little walk to the edge of town,
0: go across the track.
1: I mean, of course, I would have definitely gone for more of these, and I was, I mean, I'm still interested at least in the third one, but the second film definitely showed more promise than the first, and we can only dream about what a uh, third film would have given us, but definitely being able to get all that exposition-y cramp out of the way for the the second film helps get right into the story and a much more interesting conflict, I think.
0: I've always thought with superhero films that the second one is the film you're supposed to get. Like uh, you get like Batman Begins, but then you get the Dark Knight, right? Like uh, there's a there's a path there. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of Dark Knight, this film came out a week before that film,
1: right? And that's largely what contributed to it not performing well at the box office because Dark Knight just sucked <laughs> all all the sales.
0: Then two months later, we get Iron Man, and it's like, God damn it! how are you even going to release on video at this point?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the superhero game changed right at that point. That's no longer the kind of thing that, uh, Hellboy was not the kind of thing that audiences were wanting. Dark Knight and Batman Begins to like, really change the whole superhero game there, and then Iron Man, you know, even more.
0: Yeah, and this one kind of has been allowed a cult status based on that release, that it was kind of buried under uh, two behemoths and uh, here we have a better director kind of doing more interesting things so that's that's interesting
1: mm-hmm. uh, i think the the biggest improvements you see immediately is that they're given a bigger budget to work with and so the scale of everything is increased considerably the designs are much better the the ideas are greater in the world is so much more filled out in the second film it feels like there's a whole actual you know uh mythical world going on in the film
0: this one got about uh, 85 million, which wouldn't be, uh, you know, would just be a drop in the bucket today. But back then was, you know, less than Batman, but still sufficient.
1: Yeah, again, you can see that they clearly made very good use of it. You know, I, I think you can still argue the practical effects is, uh, it's more time-consuming and maybe a bit harder, but it, it's cheaper than CGI is still surprisingly.
0: I feel like all the $85 million went to the screen, too. Like, it's very obvious this was an expensive movie and where the money went.
1: Yeah, and it's a very fantastic for that. I love, like, when you see the troll market sequence in there, it feels like a <laughs> whole world is going on. Like, there's a whole great thing there. And, again, still plenty of practical things in there. Like, all the trolls are real suits and everything. All the characters are very real done. It's a shame, I think, that all that great creature design couldn't translate to the villain who is equally as bland and boring?
0: <laughs> I've always felt like that was Hellboy's way too. Is that the small creatures are far more interesting than any of the big bads? So, uh, I love the troll market though. That's by far my favorite part of the film. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you got to think. I think my my favorite new aspect of the film is weirdly enough the character played by Seth MacFarlane. Oh yeah, yeah. Which which does not sound like something I would like ever, but that that's a very fun character. It's a very fun design. <laughs> He does a and not bad job with the voice there, and, and he is he's good. He's using,
0: I guess, the same impression he uses for a character in American Dad, is what I've heard.
1: Well, yeah, well, he does, Seth MacFarlane essentially only has three voices that he uses. <laughs> he does, <laughs> yeah. So, but it's fine, because this one, it, it, it's a very silly and, like, not good German accent, but it works for the, the setting of this, the pulpy kind of nature of it all, and the character, you know, and I dig I that. Think-
0: I think that's better to play it that way because it played it pretty straight in the original, and we already have enough straight German occult stuff. So oh that's yeah, boring. because
1: it's like oh yeah Nazis. Uh, I'm so tired of Nazi bad guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like we got so far away from it that it would almost be novel now. But at that point in 2000 and what like eight 2004, we had already had enough of it.
1: Even now I think you, you still gotta do something with the idea of Nazis. It can't just be we're using <laughs> yeah. Nazis again. Nazis yeah. equals evil. That's boring and it's been done and it's uh it also undermines the nuance of the Nazi conflict, so
0: Yeah, exactly. Now you just have to give them an orange toupee and you're set.
1: Yeah. <sighs> Anyway, yeah, so uh, <laughs> I, I, do like Seth, I do like Seth MacFarlane's character because, again, what, the other good thing about it is that he's actually a good foil to Hellboy as well and they have interesting conflicts and, you know, playing off each other like that. That's interesting stuff, you know, that, that's more compelling than the villain is who is just this bland, you know, prince character has to reunite this thing, blah, 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 incestuous relationship with his sister.
0: Yeah, there's a bit of that, isn't there?
1: Yeah, definitely is. When we, me and me fiance were watching it and she's like they're definitely fucking
0: <laughs> <laughs> they, they absolutely are and I I actually like the, the prince character okay I feel like uh, Del Toro has a lot of sympathy toward him but between him and the uh, fish man he has a a couple androgynous characters and there's not a lot of difference
1: yeah well spell again. he's just a uh, I said he looks a lot like the elves from Thor the dark world oh, which yeah. is which is not a good comparison that you want no and it's
0: he's, it's he's boring,
1: very. And it's just not a very uh, interesting character as well. He's too serious as well. That's where we're starting to get into those those kind of like dark knighty kind of characters and whatnot. Where it's just he does know. a
0: he does get a worthwhile send off. That's kind of worth having him in. But
1: yeah, it's a, it's a more compelling um, final conf- You know, the the showdown at the end there with all the, the gears and everything turning. It makes for a cool set piece. The action, I definitely have to say, in this film is a. Much needed upgrade from the first. Like I said, yeah. you know, the suits kind of make everything kind of cumbersome and sloppy. There's a lot of bad editing in the first film for action, and it's not great action in the second film, but it's better action. Uh, my favorite set piece is definitely fighting the giant. Uh, Was it like beanstalk thing?
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like there are a lot of really good fights and character designs that play what really well into the fights. They're actually considered for action, like it's some kind of video game and if you played a video game in the last ten years, then you'll understand where this had some kind of influence on the world.
1: Yeah, and it seems like this would be a cool idea for video games, well, but I, why I didn't think, that happen? I think Damn. it did. I think there probably was, but it was probably one of those bad like movie port video games where it's just not. Oh. Yeah, you know, I, I I can't think of a good like movie to video game adaptation that was good.
0: Holy shit, there was a Hellboy game on PlayStation before the movies must have been. Really? Yeah, that's that's bizarre. I gotta look into that. What year? That be cool. Maybe it was. It must have just been like the comic book. It, old that's enough that It could have
1: been like the original PlayStation? It was on PlayStation? Yeah,
0: yeah there was a one that came out on the original PlayStation apparently, so that's interesting. I'm gonna look into it.
1: That would be interesting. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that if you do any research for next week, I guess.
0: <laughs> Will do. And uh, I always thought Hellboy would make a great video game, so... Uh, I'm very interested to see, and I feel like they should still probably make one for this. Uh, I miss those video game tie-ins for the movies, don't you?
1: Were there any good ones that you played? I don't recall anyone being particularly great, like a tie-in video game.
0: I mean, ideally, they wouldn't go exactly tie-in. You'd get, like, Batman's Arkham Asylum coming out with those Nolan movies or something, right?
1: Oh, yeah, like, so if they're just timed to kind of come together, but not, like, based off of the same material.
0: Yeah, then you get, like, Platinum doing Transformers and stuff later on, and I feel like that was the way to go with the video game tie-in, was to not tie it in directly.
1: Well, isn't that what a tie-in is, though?
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think you just want, like, the license in a video game format, and you could kind of take... It's like Mario could be anything, right? Like, it could be a platformer or a racer or whatever. You could kind of take the idea and then twist it into something that's actually a game and not just playing a movie.
1: All right, so so here's the point where my weekly critique of how you say something, Mario... Mario. Is that what you say? Mario?
0: Like, I grew up watching Mario Lemieux, like no. the like the Pittsburgh Penguin, so I always said Mario. But but it's Ma-
1: Mario. Mario. That's how you say it. It's Mario with a big A. Uh-uh.
0: I, I feel like you might be wrong about this, but we could consult with our team and see if we could come to a conclusion.
1: Yeah, we're going to tune in next week where we school Calvin on how to pronounce things.
0: We'll have Jesse yell into a phone, whatever the answer is.
1: Yes, we need another one of those recurring segments.
0: Yeah, we do. (laughs) For anything, really, I'd accept one.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, getting back to the movie after that detour, um, I'll be interested to see how the new one handles the action as well. I have a feeling, based on the trailers, that it's going to be pretty CGI-heavy, which is unfortunate, because that's one of the big merits of these these original two films here, is the, the practicality of it all and the realness of it
0: yeah i i don't even know what to think it's coming up in a few days and i i'm not even positive i think i'll go because i'm too curious not to
1: right i think it'll definitely especially with these new ones fresh in your mind or these old ones fresh in your mind here you know you're, you'll are you be curious to compare and see and everyone's going to compare and see and no one's going to be satisfied with david Harbor. i feel because we all love ron perlman as this character and like ron perlman is hellboy to all of us we can't imagine anyone else
0: They don't get it either, because they put out that trailer, and we were like, that's a little bit too uh, on-the-nose comedy. And as a reaction, they put out a Red Band trailer that's all blood. Like, neither of these things are Hellboy. Mm -hmm. Like, Hellboy doesn't have any blood in it for as hellish as the character is.
1: Well, that's the interesting thing, is that they they go for the PG-13 rating here, which is fine to do. But they do it in a creative way. I, I found that, especially in the first one, I was like... There is a notable amount of blood in these sequences, despite the rating, because of how carefully they use it. Like, I remember yeah. watching a character get stabbed, and you see the blood when the stab happens, but then from now- then on, they don't show, like, a growing blood wound or anything. It's, yeah,
0: they, they're they're able to utilize sweat and things like he gets hit with, like, a turnstile at the, or the phone at the, uh, yeah. the underground, and then the coins come out in place of blood, which is, uh, they're very creative about uh, you can use violence without showing blood. It's okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, most people will believe it. I think about, like, a lot of samurai films, you know, they, they have people slicing guys up left and right, and no blood comes out.
0: I feel like the legitimate, like, successor to both of these films is probably Alita that was out a couple months ago. That that seems, like, in the same vein. You think so? then than this new uh, Hellboy.
1: That same kind of comic book. I mean, again, we're making, you know, assessments based off of a film we haven't seen yet, but...
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But yeah, you know, I can I can totally see that, you know, cuz it's a kind of off-brand comic book kind of thing. I think that's yeah. another another appeal of the film is that it's not just straight up same superhero crap. Despite being pretty formulaic in what it does, it's more creative, which I which I greatly appreciate, and you get a bit more exploration there. It's definitely more of a, a fantasy superhero story.
0: I know. I I feel like he's able to play into really good characters and environments and um did this change any of your mind on the characters of the first film?
1: Um, I don't think particularly. I mean, we don't get a lot of, you know, transfer over from it. We get Jeffrey Tambor for a little bit. And he's still a still bit of more. A, kind yeah. of a stick in the mud. Boring. I but
0: like he's, him. He's,
1: he's better. He's, he's a lot lamer, I think, in the first film. Uh, Liz's character, I, I don't buy the love story between them still, so... It's no. Not particularly.
0: The... the they... Oh, it good. seems more friendly right
1: yeah the pregnancy thing um you know it's, it's not a compelling development necessarily It feels very like what okay that's way to go with it but i guess it leads to a good send-off like that's an interesting thing i think about the second film is that despite wanting a third film this feels final like yeah, they, they give it a good send-off of I'm done doing superhero stuff, I'm gonna go hang out with my lady and I'm gonna have a kid and a family and all that. And that's the note they leave it on. I'm like, that's a surprisingly good ending for this.
0: Yeah, it's surprisingly sufficient, and it feels like maybe they thought they couldn't make another one, so they did mm-hmm. that. I would have been up for Hell Babies, the sequel, but... Hell Babies? <laughs> that's funny. Um, I, I'm i interested in it, though, because it seems like that that kind of provided a template for an ending, like, like Mad Max Fury Road or something, where there's some optimism, but we'll see.
1: Mm-hmm. I think uh, one character I did like more, even more in the sequel, was a uh, Abe's, Abe's character. There, yeah. There's there's He's that given great... some lines. Yeah, well, I think there's a great scene because there's a scene with him and Hellboy, and they're getting drunk together in the second film, and they sing <laughs> the song.
0: What what song was that that they they're getting drunk over? Oh, I,
1: so. I gotta remember. It was it was funny, and that's another thing. I didn't buy that love story necessarily with Abe's character uh. and the the princess, but it was funny. You know, the 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 scene that it led to. Can't it's smile no without, without you. you. There yeah, we go. Yeah, we yeah, both found it. it. Um, and they, they they end the movie with that song as well, I believe. Which is, it's fun and and having them drunkenly sing together like that, and it, and it having Abe first kind of be like, "Oh no, I don't, I don't drink alcohol. I, I can't do that." He's like, "Oh yeah, one."
0: Yeah, and it it kind of sets them up to be a little bit more uh, vulnerable. So.
1: Well, what else I noticed is again, Doug Jones has a very great. Uh, unsurprisingly, physical performance, you know, as these kind of characters. If you watch the way he talks, he moves his hands, like, like fluidly. It's like he's in water, kind of moving around, talking all the time.
0: I really like that about his character, and I feel like that—that that is, like, the most del Toro representation in there. Aside from him thinking he's a fat man, I feel like that character embodies his uh, endearing uh, nature toward humanity in some way.
1: Mm-hmm. And I guess we should skip over the other really interesting character that uh, Doug Jones gets to briefly play, which is the the angel of death when they kind of encounter yep. that, which yeah. is such a cool creature design. That thing is terrifying.
0: It is. It's cool.
1: Mm-hmm. It's got the eyes yeah. inside the wings, and ugh, that's disturbing. It's a
0: very Pan's Labyrinth-looking thing. It's very strange.
1: Certainly. I believe you did Pan's Labyrinth between these two films, like Pan's Labyrinth, like the year before.
0: Oh, yeah. There's um, a lot of... Um,
1: Creatures that kind of have that... Uh, I remember one creature early on, he looks like the Pale Man a lot. You know, he's got a lot of the same features.
0: And Del Toro always had that thing, like, one for them, one for us. And this feels like a kind of combination where he's able to bridge the gap between studio work and personal interests.
1: Yeah, I never felt like Del Toro was necessarily compromising as an artist, except for maybe, like, Pacific Rim. I don't, I don't yeah. get as much a feel for his voice in Pacific Rim as I would I don't have liked... Either there's a lot of um, people who love Pacific Rim, but I, I I don't
0: love it. What was the character I really liked in this? Uh trying to think, uh Johan Krauss, is that it? Yeah, that's the, guy the, the, the Doctor character. Space he
1: Seth set McFarlane.
0: Yeah. Um no, no, not not McFarlane, right? Yeah. Oh, I guess it's voiced man. by him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um Yeah, I really like that character.
1: He's great. He's again, like I said, he's my favorite new addition to this. He's a lot of fun, just a weird concept. He's a, a ball of gas that's in a in a man's suit and schools Hellboy on, on shit.
0: Yeah, and I, I think he's really cool by design, too. That really appeals to me, because he's pretty faceless, but he has, like, the open mask.
1: Yeah, he looks a lot like a Mysterio, kind of, yeah, who we're looking forward to, to it. It, uh, in Far From Home, coming up here in the new Spider-Man movie. That's what he kind of looks like.
0: Yeah, um... And th- this was a interesting time for similar movies because we had, you know, there were, there were a lot of weird things going around before the Marvel thing, before the Marvel boom, right? Like, we have like, Mummy, Resident Evil, Underworld kind of, like, vying for this same spot in, like, a dark, uh, brooding uh, horror fantasies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hellboy kind of plays into what that was. And it was, like, a time for brooding movies. Like, of course we'd get Batman as our representation.
1: Yeah, uh, but I definitely appreciate this more, again, pulpy kind of comic feeling material. You know, the Nolan movies are fantastic, you know, of course, but, you know, there's a place in the world for these type of comic movies too, and I feel like in, in general they age better, they they have a bit more yeah. to them. Uh, and again, the Hellboy movies are, are far from perfect, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, structural and writing problems with both of them, and they, they fall into a lot of cliches, but they have a lot of heart to them, which you don't see... Especially, I think, in a lot of the Marvel movies. You know, I enjoy the Marvel movies, but it's all much more surface entertainment. There's a lack of sincerity.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. There's too much uh, winking at the camera and not enough um, actually compelling character work, really.
1: Well, just, I think, uh, writing. Because I think the the actors are very immersed in the characters there. I believe Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. as these characters. But it definitely, you know, they, they lose a kind of authorial intent in them.
0: I mean I feel like I feel like Josh Brolin's Thanos is kind of a good extension of what how unbelievable Hellboy is.
1: Mhm. I, I feel like
0: that's the same kind of character work where such an impossible character is made possible by uh an actor really getting immersed and really caring for what they're doing.
1: Well, I think that's also a good representation of the opposite and you know we spent so much time here talking about the the greatness of the you know physical uh, pieces of you know the suit and realizing character that way whereas Thanos is basically the epitome of what cgi animation can do for a character can realize this unbelievable behemoth of a character with a lot of nuance in his design and facial you know expressions and all that
0: yeah and in some way the ability to have that kind of cgi sort of replaces the uh, more authentic feeling of having someone like pearlman who looks and embodies a character already
1: yeah and uh and it's not to say that because you still have that look you know thanos still have very much has josh Brolin's face and his expressions in there but it's like mm. the the body of it, it's still, but it's still very believable. We've come a long way in CGI. We talk yeah. about how the action, you know, the CG action is very obvious and kind of phony in the Hellboy movies, whereas in the, you know, if we look at Infinity War here, um, you know, it, it's very compelling. You can kind of buy into all of the action going on there.
0: Yeah, and um, I feel like the action's well shot in this, too, uh, compared to, like, a Marvel film. It, it flows a little bit more nicely for me.
1: The second one, for sure, like I said, I think there's a lot of Cheap editing tricks used in the first one. I agree, know, yeah. And so the second one's just a massive improvement, I think, in general and everything. They really stepped <laughs> up the game, which makes me really think about how great the third one uh, could have been.
0: Well, I feel like these aren't like fights for the sake of having superheroes. I feel like they're fights because Del Toro had a frame in his head. Like he has the idea of a frame of a droplet of water getting cupped through with the sword, so mm-hmm. he has to film it. And it doesn't matter that it's a superhero fighting because. He already has a frame in his head for how it would uh, be exposed on screen.
1: That that moment was a little cheesy to me where he cuts the, the water droplet. <laughs> but, yeah. like, I, I enjoy things on the opposite where it's like, you know, having to save a baby during the whole fight sequence up the building like that. That's a fun thing.
0: Yeah, they all have a little bit more than uh, who's going to win and does it really matter.
1: Right, that's the thing is that the, the fights I think definitely, yeah, I mean, I guess you could argue more way or one way or the other. But, you know, there is a bit more weight felt in the conflicts especially like if you're watching superheroes fight each other you know you know, nobody's going to come out bad in that end
0: oh, and um, I but feel that's like not it's... the point
1: of those fights either it's just interesting to watch different powers go up against each other I think that's the appeal of the Avengers films more so
0: yeah and I don't care about that stuff so but I'll take something like this yeah, what?
1: To- <laughs> you're totally allowed to you're totally allowed to not care about Marvel stuff going on just remember you're in the minority there everyone else wants to see Iron Man beat up Cap America again
0: I, I like watching the character parts of those films, but uh, who's going to win? Does it all matter? I don't, I don't, not for me. Yep.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get more interesting stuff like this. I don't know how the new Hellboy is going to fare out, but hopefully next week you'll be able to kind of come back with your opinion on that and let us know. I think David Harbour is an interesting choice for Hellboy, but he doesn't scream the character like Ron Perlman does. Like, I remember when he was first announced, I'm like, okay. But, yeah, do you think uh, David
0: Harbour is going to turn into an interesting performance? Uh, not based on the trailers, but I'd, I'd like to be surprised.
1: Yeah, you never know. You can't judge a film based on trailers. Look at you, High Life.
0: Um. <laughs> and you also can't judge a film unless they release it in your area.
1: True, under the Silver Lake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, which we'll, we'll never be able to talk about because it, it will never be in box office. So mm-hmm. Thanks, A24. Do
1: you think they're going to release it on Blu-ray over here? I know, like, like I said, I know they did overseas, but I think I think it's just a film we're not allowed to have now.
0: I think it's too problematic, and they're going to just uh, suffocate it as much as they can.
1: Shame. It's always a shame when something gets buried like that, but hopefully it'll eventually come around.
0: Too bad, because it's the best thing Andrew Garfield's done, so Are you sure they get to it. Are you
1: yeah. sure? Silence was great. I liked him in Silence a lot.
0: Oh, yeah. I guess that's better. Mm-hmm. Never mind. It's the second best thing he's done.
1: But so People like Social Network, right?
0: Uh, Third best. <laughs>
1: It's better than the Spider-Man movies, so... I there. think that's what I'm saying, is that it's
0: more interesting than that. And it's a uh, video gamey. It has a lot of uh, uh, coding stuck inside it, which is interesting. So. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know too much about it, but it's not really Hellboy-related, so... Um, uh,
0: no. Um, <laughs> these kind of come from that uh, era of the Spider-Man film, though, don't they?
1: These uh, they're around the same time, a little bit earlier than. It's like these are like right between. I think they're a good bridge between the rainy Spider-Man stuff and the Amazing Spider-Man kind of period of superhero films. Yeah, it's kind of right in the middle there, and we get a little bit of both worlds there.
0: Well, at least you found a transition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I agree, though they they are a bridge between what superhero films were and could become. So I feel like they did uh, add to the genre. And they are worth covering. Um, I I hope next week I have better news about the new one. So
1: hopefully, maybe we'll get a proper Hellboy trilogy if that one shapes up to be well. I don't know. At the same nah. time, I wonder with our CGI technology and de aging people, you think we could still get a permanent film? Like he like theoretically could do it. I know they're not going to, but
0: yeah, I wish they would. I feel like I feel like they probably could, but his time's running short there.
1: Yeah. Unless we want like old man Hellboy, like we'll get a Logan version of Hellboy. I want to see that now.
0: Yeah, I'd be I'd be good with that. Get Man Gold or someone on it, but I think it'd only work with Del Toro, right?
1: Right. Well, I bet Del Toro could pull up, too. Oh no, we'll see. He's got his Pinocchio project right now. It's coming up my way.
0: Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what Del Toro does. Uh, how would you put this uh, in in between Del Toro's work?
1: It's in like the the middle area for sure. Like I said, better than Pacific Rim and um no but but not good as his spanish stuff for like shape of water um i haven't seen crimson peak so i can't speak much on that but probably like i'd situate this below devil's backbone which i enjoy and is very creative but you know it's it's a little obvious in some of its things as well
0: yeah i'd put it i'd put it around chrono's devil's backbone area i guess yeah
1: like i said better better than original hellboy definitely better than pacific Rim. not not as good as not even close to as good as Pan's Labyrinth or Shape of Water.
0: Yeah, I I always wonder if he'll get back to some kind of hero film or something. Um, we'll have to see what he does.
1: Here, here I, I guess I'll put it, I like it better than Blade 2, I'll say that.
0: I guess that's what the real conversation is, that uh, uh, he's made a few good superhero films, and they're all atypical. So.
1: Yep, they're all very different and creative, and that's the important thing about Del Toro's work, and why I always kind of support him, is that he has a... Creative drive that you don't see in as many filmmakers now.
0: Mm-hmm. It was nice that he was able to make a sequel to this in *Shape of Water*. So,
1: yeah, did <laughs> the, the *Adventures of Abe C. P. and having <laughs> sex with?
0: <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> I always liked that kind of attachment at he had to that character. So I'm glad he got to do something to uh, spiritually adapt it, if not literally.
1: Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a good idea to go forward with there. Maybe Hellboy will show up in one of his later films as well.
0: Be my king. We belong together, you and I. We do, but it's not going to work, you know, because I'm a Capricorn and you're fucking nuts!